Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. You know, I'm on. Are we ready? All right. Uh, welcome to this session on Archives and History Committee meeting. Uh, my name is Jim, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'll be facilitating this session. I'm, I'm joined by K.S., for those of you who may not know her. Um, each of us will share our recovery on this topic, she and I, and then we'll take some time to answer questions. And actually, in this session, is going to be special because we're going to ask some of you that are willing to come up maybe and share a little bit about the history of your group or the history as you know it. And it's, since it's being recorded, we'll, we'll be able to use that for our archives and history. Um, in the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during this session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Let's open with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's a purpose. Sexholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. All right. Um, Ma'am? Okay, uh, let me have one. So Kay is going to pass out this history, this form that, that, that has been uh, the, the Archives and History Committee has come up with. And the purpose of this form is to ask you some things about yourself and your history and essay and your recovery and your unity and group issues and um, and all kinds of things and then and then there's some tips for interviewing people and some other other information so you can take it back to your group and we hope that you'll be able to answer some questions and and maybe make some copies and get people to to fill these out and send them to to Kay. We've got the snail mail and we got the email and we got the fax. We got all kinds of information about how you can you can get this information back to us or to Kay and and at the Seiko office. Um, how I want to start is uh, I'd like for Kay if you would come up and you would talk a little bit about um, 
the history from your perspective at the office or anything you want to talk about. Well, <clears throat> I'm actually rotating from my duties as the um, general manager, uh, office assistant, executive director, and chief gopher for SACO. And I've been doing this for 24 years. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, one concern I've had for years, and by years I mean a couple of decades, is that uh, people would ask me, why do you stay? Why do you keep working for this bunch of perverts? And I'd say, because um, you never know what's going to happen next, and I can't stand it. I always want to know what's coming next. I have to know. Well, after a couple of decades of this, a lot has happened, and I've noticed that we've made very few and very poor attempts to collect and gather this information, and I know that it is the collective wisdom of the fellowship that is probably the second greatest resource the fellowship has. We all know what the greatest resource is. It's Yes, yes, indeed, and that face-to-face -face contact with with God as your chief intermediary. But that collective pool of experience and wisdom is what Seiko has been operating on for two decades, because when someone calls up and says, well, I've had this happen, or I need some experience about this, I need to talk to someone who knows something about this, or... I'm struggling with this, and I don't know anything about it. Well, no one at SACO is a member, none of us. In the the wisdom of those that hired me, they went back to Bill W. and AA, and they said, well, you know, we what if we had an alcoholic secretary and she had a slip? That would be terrible. The office would be unmanned. Things would go undone. Um, so they, they asked at this the staff of SACO be people who are not, not affected by the disease or uh, anyone in the family. Well, you know, hey, uh, none of us are S-Anons, but some of us are Al-Anons. Some of us belong to O-Anon, uh, Rage-Anon. In other words, yeah, uh, we are not normal. Please stop calling us normies. Um, <clears throat> but... Thank you. But we do not have the disease. So um, even before um, our founder, Roy K., passed on, um, I had asked him and we had asked him repeatedly to write the history of SA. <sighs> this is the southern thing. That means we didn't get what we wanted. Bless his heart. Um, he was not into writing history. His purpose was to write from a spiritual point of view and to provide guidance and to keep doing that as long as he was able. Uh, so even then, in the end, when we knew that he was not going to be doing this, we started collecting all the documents that we could find that had his name on it and we're looking for people that had experiences to share. Some of that is in our Roy K. Memorial issue. Um, you can still get a copy of that. Um, <clears throat> a lot of that has been collected by um, people who know, love, and trust him that he appointed to collect his history. 
So about last year, when people realized I was serious about retiring, we said, you know, we really need to start getting serious about the documentation that we have and collecting the history of the fellowship and the Archives and History Commission uh, a Committee is the outcome of that. The genuine impetus was Tucson Ray. The trustees saw fit to invest in some recordings of Tucson Ray. They sent a member who was experienced in these things out to interview him. He collected nine hours of tapes. It's in 25 pages of transcript. And <clears throat> Tucson Ray had put in over two decades of working with prisoners and with prisons. His experience was invaluable, and we didn't want to be left without it. And um, he died within two months of making those recordings. And suddenly a lot of us sat up and went, gosh, if that could happen to Roy and Tucson Ray, it could happen to any of our members, that they could be snatched from us before we were ready to let them go. So <clears throat> the printout that we gave you is a way that you can go back to your groups and start gathering the recollections of your old-timers, the people who have founded your meeting, and yourselves. I would remind you that the bottom part of history is story, and the first part is, hi, hi, this is my story, okay? And everyone has one to share. Um, I am reminded that nothing that you have learned in your lifetime, um, however small or minuscule it may seem to you at the time, every bit of your experience will prove to be useful to you later on in your life. Everything that you know. And it's actually, since we're such a small fellowship, it's actually one of your responsibilities. I'm laying the heavy part on now. It's actually your responsibility to see that you do your part to pass on what you know as part of the legacy and help us gather this information. Have I talked enough? Well, as much as you want. I'm done. What we'd like now is I'm going to ask Jim to come up and give us a little example because Jim was on the ground floor when Memphis, Tennessee got started. Just give us the story. I will. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm Jim Sexaholic. Hi, Jim. And um, uh, I struggled with uh, my sexaholism and, and, and recovery and was a was – Somebody labeled me as a chronic relapser, and I guess I guess I can I can own that. Um, and I went through a, I went through several treatment centers um, all across the United States. And my sobriety date is seven eleven oh six. And so I was going when I got out. I was going to another S group because it was the only one in town in Memphis. Well, thank God that they. I mean, at 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 this other S group, they made announcements that a guy that was from Memphis that had gotten sober in Nashville had come back to Memphis and started SA. 
I mean, you know, at, at one S group, they told us of another S group, and and I thought, well, that's that's really neat and kind of them them to do that. Um, and it was it's Steve S. Some of you may know uh, got sober here in Nashville and um, and came back and um, and started SA um, in Memphis, and and it was kind of strange because. The first meeting he started, he started two meetings at the same time on Friday night at six o'clock and on Saturday night at six o'clock at this, at this uh, Methodist church. And, um, so he, he, I think the first meeting in Memphis was in, was in August of 2007. And the first meeting I attended was in uh, September of 2007. And there were four of us, uh, Steve S and me and a guy named Frank H and, and another person. And we um, we had we had meetings on Friday night and Saturday night, SA meetings, and um, uh, growth was slow. Uh, you know, four of us, at, four of us or five of us, and and we would, you know, some people would come and go as as in all all groups, I guess. And uh, but it grew slowly, but it grew, and uh, and now in Memphis we have thirteen groups. I think maybe one has dropped out, but we have somewhere around 13 groups, uh, that, and we have a meeting most every day, and we still have uh, that Friday night and Saturday night at that Methodist church, and we've added the Thursday night at that Methodist church, and uh, those, in fact, are the largest attended meetings in Memphis. Uh, we have kind of a small community in Memphis, and I don't really know what that's about, but uh, 20, 20 people on Friday night, maybe 25, is the largest attended largest uh, meeting of the week in the area. I, I live 30 miles east of Memphis in a little town called Somerville, Tennessee, and uh, after going going to the meetings in Memphis for a year, I kind of got tired of the drive, and so I started a group in my town, and on Saturday morning, we, we, have, a, we have a very successful meeting. I mean, you know, a, a lot of guys come from Memphis and come from Jackson and come from other towns around and uh, and so so I'm I'm proud that we have a good group that's only a mile from my house, and it's, and it's happening here in, in about an hour. Um, so so that's kind of, you know and and there's one other thing I uh, I didn't I was I didn't get it you know at first and so we've got this S group over here and they have three or four meetings or maybe more a week, and I asked Steve I said why didn't you just go to that meeting? He said. I mean, it was just, he said, he said, listen, because I'm a member of SA. I mean, and, and I just, I just, I mean, and he said it with conviction, and I didn't get it at that time. He said, I'm not, he said, you know, that means fine, but I'm a member of SA, and I want SA. And, uh, and so I, you know, I learned about the sobriety definition and everything. And in fact, in fact, I had been to a, to a treatment center, um, by, there was Patrick Carnes, um, one of his deals, and it's and and they and they kind of cater to another another S fellowship more than more than SA. But when I was discharged from there, the counselor told me said you need SA. You don't need any. You you don't have any boundaries at all, and you need somebody to tell you what to do and how to act. And and don't worry about any other S groups. You find SA, and I, and I, you know that was that was stuck in my brain too. So, 
So I'm real glad to be here, and uh, that's kind of a little quick history of Memphis and West Tennessee. Um, and I would love it if any of y'all would come up and uh, share a minute or five or whatever about uh, your history and the history of your group. We're recording this, and and we will uh, will you know it'll be archived. I mean, it'll be part of our history. And so, if you'd honor us with 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 talking into this microphone, we'd appreciate it. And if you don't, good. I'm going to fall and told you. Please come on up. <laughs> That's and, why I volunteered come to on, come up. Come on in. You I can didn't be want to volunteer. <laughs> good morning. It is morning. Uh, my name's Tom, and I am a recovering sexaholic. Hey, I am most grateful to be at this meeting. Um, my sobriety date is 5:15 of 1996, and I'm in the Palm Springs, California area, not that other Palm Springs, you know, south of here in Florida. Um, so, real briefly, we'll see how this goes. Uh, when I when I came into Palm Springs or into the program in that area, uh, there were there were two meetings. Um, so a little bit of history before I got there, which I've learned, that uh, when SA was introduced into that area, it was 10 years prior, right around 1986, and they had one meeting over at the local junior college um, down in, in the basement, <laughs> of course, um, and that was, that was the only meeting for a long time. Um, so by the time I got into the program, they had multiplied by 50%. And now they had two meetings. Um, and so there was one meeting that was still on Friday night. However, that meeting had moved over to a therapist's office. Um, and then there was a Monday night meeting also in that same therapist's office. And that meeting was, was there was a lot of what we call court card people, which I will never be sufficiently grateful for because that's how I got in here at the strong suggestion of the state of California. I was one of those court card people, and of course, I was not a sexaholic. Um, signed my card and let me out of here. Um, I will be forever grateful for this gentleman who was the therapist that had that practice. He was very pro 12 step, and in his, um, his therapy groups, he would tell them, You're going to go to SA. Oh, no, I'm not going to go, people would say. Let me call your parole officer. <laughs> Um, because that was part of his plan. He, he just believed in the maintenance of 12-step. Um, and so for a long time, there were two meetings. I would not go to two meetings because, of course, I told you I was not a sexaholic. Um, of course, I'm not on a court card anymore. That was a long time ago. Uh, and someone suggested, why don't you talk to your wife about Essanon? Now, that Essanon meeting was on Friday night right where that other SA meeting was. By golly, she said yes. So that would require me to actually go to two meetings, way above and beyond what I felt was required of me, because they weren't going to sign my card at that other meeting, only at this one. So my wife joined Essanon, and uh, I joined that other meeting on Friday night. Uh, and now I was doing two meetings a week. And, of course, by now I had finally come to the realization that, A, I was sexaholic. 
B, that probably no power on earth could ever save me, and C, God would and could if I would just seek him. Uh, and that was definitely a reality. So although I was still required to get a card signed, um, I really wanted to go. Because, uh, of course, like many of us, we found safety, we found a solution, uh, and we were faced with our, our malady. Um, someone suggested, now where I live is actually not in Pump Springs. I'm about 10 miles north of Palm Springs. Uh, the interstate runs down the middle of the Coachella Valley down there and and, uh, and divides the valley. And so uh, someone suggested, why don't you start a meeting up there where, where you live? And I thought, well, I'm already going to two meetings. That would require three meetings. <laughs> so I gathered a couple of guys, and sure enough, we... Uh, of all things, this, we're going to go back to this therapist. He had a branch office up in this area. It's called Desert Hot Springs. If you want to look it up on the map, probably not. I, I wouldn't want to. Um, but in Desert Hot Springs, he had a branch office. So we started a meeting, uh, myself and, and uh, another gentleman. And that meeting actually grew to be the largest meeting that we had of all things. Um, so now we have this Monday night meeting in the therapist's office. The Friday night meeting moved to a hospital, of course, again, in the basement. Who would have thought? Uh, and, of course, the Essendon meeting was still going on on Friday night. Um, and uh, those were the meetings I attended, and those were the only three meetings that we had. Someone had the bright idea of, what about a Saturday morning meeting? And he grabbed me and he said, let's start a Saturday morning meeting in another city. Uh, and this would have been in a city next to Palm Springs. So now we started another morning meeting, first morning meeting in the desert. <coughs> and it actually grew to be the largest meeting that we had. We'd have about, uh, oh, I don't know, 15 to 20 people that would come on a Saturday morning. Uh, and then we'd all go out to breakfast, you know, the meeting after the meeting. And now I'm doing four meetings. There was a shift in the California parole and probation system uh, right around the early 2000s uh, where uh, the therapist that we were talking about lost his, his contract with the state. And now there was another therapist that was talking to the court card people. And he told all of his court card people, you don't need to go to that meeting. So that Monday night meeting pretty much disintegrated. Um, and eventually it closed. So now there's no more Monday night meeting. And so uh, we have the three meetings, the Friday night meeting and the Saturday morning meeting and the Tuesday night meeting up in Desert Hot Springs. So I'll try to fast forward a little bit um, because meetings move, meetings come and meetings go. So where we are right now in, in the Coachella Valley, the desert area, is we have nine meetings. We have a meeting every day, sometimes two. That Tuesday night meeting that started up in Desert Hot Spring has moved four different times, and it still is going on. Um, that's our longest meeting uh, now. The Friday night meeting uh, eventually folded. What was interesting is what really happened is that the Essanon meeting moved to a different night. That Friday night meeting was a lot of part of a couple. A lot of people wonder, you know, is is 
the coupleship part of your recovery and and for me personally, yeah, I believe it is. Uh, and that was a place where people were able to work on sexaholism issues and also S non issues uh, as a couple. Um, our meetings now are a meeting every morning at 6.15 in the morning uh, in a little town called Palm Desert, California. Um, I live very far away. I do not go to those 6.15 morning meetings. Um, I have to be to work usually about 7 in the morning. And, but we still have the Saturday morning meeting, and that's at 7 o'clock, and I go to that one. Uh, we also have a new Monday night meeting that's actually in Palm Springs. Um, and that one is fairly small. Um, we, we, that one is a format meeting where we work on steps. Uh, and probably we're running about six to eight people on that meeting. Uh, so we have the Saturday morning, we have the Monday, and then the longstanding Tuesday night meeting, which has also moved numerous times, continues to be our longest running meeting. Um, I am grateful that we can offer something, uh, a meeting every single day. Uh, so you hear that term when people come in, you need to do 90 and 90. We can actually provide 90 essay meetings, sometimes more, in 90 days, and I think that's thrilling for me. And essay continues to grow, at least in our area. Um, and we'll see what the next uh, couple of decades have. Thanks. Thanks for letting Thanks, me share. Thank you, Tom. I'm Ed W. I'm sexaholic. Yeah. From Louisville, Kentucky area. Um, sobriety dates January 191. Um, there's a long standing history of SA in Kentucky that I tapped into in 1989, first time. Um, the two guys that started SA in Lexington, Kentucky, got together um, at the encouragement of a professor at Asbury College. And um, a little bit of twist that goes with that is uh, he was the brother-in-law and one of the founders uh, in 1988. And uh, at his death, or right prior to it, it seems that he had some of our kind of struggles. It's interesting that a man with struggles would encourage others to start something that he didn't avail himself um, of as well. But I'm really grateful for that because Bill and Steve got together and uh, were a core that were there when I showed up that... Uh, made an investment in my life that uh, I can never be sufficiently grateful for. Um, Bill got sober in Lexington, Kentucky, and, and uh, the last I heard of him was pastoring a church in Alabama. Uh, I don't even know whether he's still alive or not, but uh, I can never forget the meetings that uh, we and I had at his apartment on occasion. Uh, it only takes two sexaholics for a meeting, and those are real crucial experiences for myself and I trust for him. 
Um, Steve is a guy that's come and gone over the years. Uh, he was there with Bill to get things started, um, moved away. Uh, and then when SA uh, that had essentially ended in Lexington by uh, the end of 1990 because uh, a man had come into town who was a therapist who had been to uh, treatment out west said, I've got a great deal, and you can meet in my office. And uh, being early in SA, myself and, and the ones that were coming, we didn't know any difference. We didn't have an appreciation and a value for the SA message at that time. We didn't know anything about traditions. We just uh, responded to the uh, overture of uh, what uh, was offered as a better deal. And uh, the time from 1990 until 1994 uh, for me was a real struggle period um, in my sobriety. My sobriety date's January 1, 91, um, but I've probably got more time uh, in sobriety when you call sobriety progressive victory over lust. I was having victory over lust back in 1990. Uh, 1991 for me is the day I moved into an apartment separated from my spouse and sons, and didn't know if I could stay sober or not. And uh, I was not an SA. I was in another S fellowship. But the message and the uh, suggestions of the other S, other S fellowship, I could never figure out how you get sober that way. So grateful that I'd gotten enough of the SA message that that was the foundation of me starting my sobriety January 191. Didn't have other SA members, but I had other sex drunks that weren't necessarily sober. But I was staying sober. I'm really truly believing because of that little seed that had been planted in me back in 1989. Uh, when I went to that first meeting of SA in 1989 that I found out about in AA, um, I had started my recovery experience actually in Al-Anon because the day I called AA in 1988 and said, I want to go to AA, you guys have power there. I've seen it in its effect in a friend of mine who got sober, whose life changed, and I want that. So the man at AA asked me, he said, do you have a drinking problem? And Honesty for me at that point was, no, I didn't think I had a drinking problem. I had a huge drinking problem, not so much about the booze, although I was drinking. Uh, and by that time in 88, I had stopped, and I didn't have any confidence I could stay stopped. And I needed help. Um, with the answer of... Uh, my saying I didn't have a drinking problem, the man at AA told me of another number, and uh, that number was for adult children of alcoholics. My parents are teetotalers. I didn't know why I would be going there. I'd never seen my parents drink, but uh, I was willing. 
because I had the gift of desperation. I called that number, told them my little story, and they said, well, maybe we're not for you. But here's this number. And they gave me the number for uh, answering service for S- for Elena. I called that number, and uh, the woman there uh, talked with me, listened to me, identified with me, and gave me meeting times and places for Al-Anon. I didn't go that very night, but I went the next night. And my recovery and the 12 step way of life had begun. Um, I choose to believe that God was orchestrating my direction. He was leading me and guiding me, putting me where I needed to be without me having a clue of what's going on. Uh, because in Al-Anon, the women wouldn't sponsor me. And that was good. They had good boundaries. They would listen to me. They loved me when I couldn't love myself. They loved me in a healthy way, a way that I had no understanding of. And finally, I found a man in Al-Anon. There were very few back in those days of the late 80s. And that man tried to help me. And one of the things he did very specifically to help me was he said, Ed, I don't know the answers to those questions. Why don't you go to an open AA meeting and listen? You might find some of the answers you're looking for. Best thing that could have happened to me. Because I didn't think I could go to AA as a result of that intergroup information. And this guy was giving me permission to go to AA. Since I wasn't Alki, I had to be still and listen and learn. I couldn't talk. And that was a very good thing for me because I was talking crazy in Al-Anon and people were listening and it was feeding me. It was it was a loving experience. But I needed to go and hear direction. And that's what I discovered in the AA experience. And in the AA experience, after reading a book uh, that I read, and it wasn't the one that a lot of people talk about it was one that you never hear. I've never heard about it since 1988. But in that book, they had descriptions of my kind of sexual behavior. And so I said, okay, now I got a label. I know what I am. I went to an AA meeting. I said, I'm Ed, I'm a love addict, I'm a sex addict, and I talk. Well, a woman pulled me aside after that meeting and said, Ed, we don't talk about that kind of stuff in AA, but if you'll go over to this bulletin board, at this meeting place, and look, you might find some help. What I did is I went to this place, looked at the bulletin board, I found our SA 20 questions, meeting time and meeting place for SA. Not recommended, but those guys didn't know any better back in 1989. And uh, it was one of those God things that played the role of save my life because I found a meeting on a Saturday morning in 1989, January 1989, Men and women talking about my problem. They were my people. Some of them were people I'd seen in al and AA, but this was SA. And uh, my God, in al they taught me to use a telephone. I knew how to use that tool. And I found some people that were my people, and I burned up phone lines. Because in 1980. Seven, I'd started my own business, and I had a cell phone. And so I used that a lot in my recovery. Um, used it so much, I ran up a bill that I couldn't pay, and I lost that cell phone. But the beautiful thing is that tool of using the phone had been already ingrained in me, and talking it out so you didn't have to act it out, 
because I thought it was acting out was the problem back in those days because I was so confused. I didn't know it stopped the lusting and you won't act out. That took a while for me to get over time. And uh, so, again, this we didn't have a white book in 1989 in Lexington, Kentucky. We had loose leaf writings of Roy, and we had ourselves. And we did the best we could. And uh, so in that period, having got a little bit, I got the seed of the essay message. And in the other S Fellowship from that period, um, 91, end of 90 to 1994, um, I was getting sober. Um, not very many other people were. In fact, the ones that got sober, to my knowledge, all went back out and I've lost track of them. Um, the one guy, the original guy that I met that started SA in, in Lexington, he's still around, but he doesn't participate in, in SA recovery. And I feel sad about that. I even tempted to sponsor him for a period, but, uh, um, that wasn't something that was, uh, productive in the real sense of the word for him, but it sure was for me. And, uh, 1994, I heard about a marathon from, there was a group, a new group of people that started SA again in Lexington, Kentucky. And I found out about they were going to start the meeting, and I told them, said, well, you start it and I'll come. Because SA's been here since 1988. It's just not active presently. Well, those guys got it up and running, and, and SA in Lexington, Kentucky, to about, well, I know, has been continuous since 1994. It's ebbed and flowed. It's got multiple meetings, small meetings, uh, but they're there because I was a part of SA in Lexington, Kentucky until about 2011, 2012 because uh, my work opportunity changed to where I was uh, by that time living in Shelbyville, Kentucky and, and, and uh, for 2007 to 2011, I was still working in Lexington and going to meetings in Lexington and driving home to Chevyville. But then uh, 2011, things changed for me, so I started working in the west side of Louisville, and uh, the time frames and so forth weren't conducive for me to continue to go to meetings in Lexington. I have had indirect contact with SA in Lexington over this long period through people I've known, people I've tried to sponsor. Um, and there are people here at this convention that are from Lexington, Kentucky, SA. Um, back to myself and that 1994 experience where I came here to Nashville, went to a marathon experience, it started to change my life dramatically because I heard true SA message here in Nashville in 1994. Mike C. was one of the personalities speaking. There were a number of people that I met that weekend. I met Judson that weekend, who's since left uh, Nashville and gone to uh, Washington State. Um, so I got exposed to some real strong essay message that weekend in 1994. I met a guy there who was from Louisville, Kentucky. Discovered that essay was going on in Louisville in 1994. Two guys, Steve and Ray, had started SA in Louisville. I don't know exactly when. Steve uh, is a fatal 
um, result of active sexaholism. He didn't grow spiritually enough adequately to stay alive. He died of suicide. Uh, Ray disappeared. I've not seen Ray in years. Don't know where he is. Um, but I started to go to Louisville essay on Saturdays because they had a Saturday meeting and, uh, it increased my essay meeting contact. All through this, by 1990, I had joined Alcoholics Anonymous because I hadn't worked the steps. And uh, I was afraid I was going to drink alcohol again. And I had seen the link between alcohol and lust. And I was afraid that if I drank booze again, I wouldn't be able to stay SA sober. So that resulted in me becoming a member of AA. And uh, I have extensively, extensively availed myself of AA uh, support and recovery, AA sponsors, because I didn't have an SA sponsor. Um, all that's important in my sobriety. And it's been the source of foundation in me of message, because the AA message and the SA message are almost married. They could be almost be flip sides of the same coin. That's my experience. So grateful that I know that our founder came right out of the center of AA. So um, that was a strong uh, idea that got ingrained in me that uh, my hope, my answer, my possibility includes AA and SA. It's hard to carry that message to other people that don't make that connection. And I've heard it said this weekend that uh, when there's not enough AA meetings, I'm sorry, when there are not enough SA meetings, supplement with AA. It's even in the white book, one of the suggestions. Uh, I found out by my own experience that works, and I've encouraged others to do the same. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, SA has grown dramatically in Kentucky in the area I'm in, uh, but it is growing. It's growing uh, in Louisville. We have three meetings a week, Thursday, Saturday morning and Tuesday nights. Thursday nights and Tuesday nights um, have been going on for quite some time now. The original meeting was Saturday. And um, we use literature in the Louisville meetings because uh, there were problems with uh, no real message. And my sponsor, who I finally... Uh, moved away from AA sponsorship and, and, and have an essay sponsor who's here in Nashville. And one of the biggest contributions he made to Kentucky SA is include literature in, 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 in meetings. And uh, I, I really believe that that's been uh, a big impact on the growth we're having now. Because in years past when we didn't have a solid solution message in a meeting, we didn't have good spiritual entities we got up to as many as 20 people coming to meetings sometimes. But then when people got to a certain point, they started getting drunk. They didn't come back. Meetings uh, deteriorate down to a few people. And so there's been an ebb and flow, both in Lexington and in Louisville. Uh, and I think it's associated with not having a strong foundation in the essay message. And the literature is the anchor point for the essay message. Um, I found that to be true as a result of the encouragement of my sponsor 
And also back to my beginnings in Al-Anon where there I had it taught and emphasized to me that the literature is the anchor point of the message that works. Uh, and also uh, I have a strong appreciation for traditions because if you don't have uh, an understanding of traditions which correlates with that message, essay is not going to continue. I mean, our, our, our big fellowship is, is kind of a picture of that, too, because over the years I've seen it ebb and flow around uh, what is the definition of true sobriety. I'm just really grateful that I get to be a part of SA, particularly in Kentucky. Kentucky SA also includes Bowling Green. There's been an SA opportunity in Bowling Green, Kentucky, for years. Bowling Green's not very far from Louisville, so I, I'm sorry, from Nashville, so I, I believe there's been uh, significant input because of that close proximity. There's also been meetings in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, off and on. My understanding is uh, it is there today. There is SA in northern Kentucky. And part of the northern Kentucky impact is being in close proximity to Cincinnati. And there's SA in Cincinnati. Um, so those are kind of the basics that I just want to share about my knowledge of the history of SA, particularly in Kentucky. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we've, got, we've got about 15 minutes or less. Uh, so if somebody would like to come and share a little bit about their story and a little bit about the history, spe- specifically about the history of their group, um, for our microphone, we'd appreciate it. One or Hi, I'm Azal. Um, I was debating if to come up and share because the people who came were like so much longer in SA. Um, I've only been in SA for a year and change, but I just wanted to share my experience in terms of how the fellowship, uh, I'm from Israel, and how the fellowship, the women fellowship has grown in, uh, in SA. So I know this isn't from my personal experience, but from stories that I heard. So around six years ago, um, in, in Israel, it's very religious, and, and uh, from uh, the faith tradition in Israel, it's uh, customary to segregate men and women's uh, functions. And so there were meetings, but they were closed. Women weren't allowed in. Um, and there was a woman who um, wanted to come, and there was absolutely nowhere that, that she could come. And she started um, just <laughs> sitting in the, the closed meeting, just sitting down there and said, you can't kick me out. Um, and... But nobody, she she had the gift of desperation, like I don't know many other people who do. Um, and other people tried to come and they just didn't stick. Um, and uh, eventually there were more people who came, but it was like uh, just in and out, in and out, in and out, because there was nobody who was willing to sponsor. And there was like a huge language barrier um, between um uh, Hebrew and English and having finding somebody that you could actually talk to um, and the people who tried to stay turned to to sponsors who spoke Hebrew but from other fellowships and they they tried doing that but they didn't have the the experience strength and hope in that area and it there was something stuck there and and it just people in and out people in and out um, and there was a woman who came and who by coincidence spoke English and she got a sponsor from uh, um, America and she started to sponsor and 
women started to to stay a little bit more, but she was <laughs> swamped because she was the only sponsor in Israel, and she was, um, and there was a huge problem with uh, um, people not being women not being let into meetings, um, and uh, there were women's meetings, but um, you got all these people together that haven't had a spiritual experience, and it wasn't. I, my opinion, but it wasn't necessarily the SA uh, solution being shared there. Um, and around uh, a year and a half ago, um, there was somebody from what's now my home group who um, talked to his sponsor and said, there's these constant women coming in and out, coming in and out, and, and nobody's staying. And, and nobody's also sponsoring because it just... Nobody's willing to do that. And he asked his sponsor, what should he do? And he said, you should start sponsoring women um, with boundaries and, and with a lot of, you know, honesty and openness with me. But you should start um, sponsoring women. And he started sponsoring two women at the same time. And they would meet together. So it wouldn't be on a one-on-one thing. And they would meet in a public area. And they started working the steps together. Um, and this is right around when I came in. Um, and I remember my first meeting and... I, I've been in a 12-step fellowship before this, and I knew that I needed to get a sponsor, and I knew what a sponsor was. My previous sponsor from the other fellowship told me, I don't have anything to give you. You should look for an SA sponsor. So I, I came to this meeting wanting to look to find a sponsor, and, and I asked everybody after the meeting, can you sponsor, can you sponsor? And, and everybody said no. Um, and so I came to another meeting, and, and there was... Um, uh, man there who was invited to to talk and he put me into a whatsapp group um, that was um, designed to help women uh, uh, have contact with people who are in recovery in a in a I don't know how do you say this word in English but um, watched over like that somebody is like um, watching and seeing what's happening in terms of boundaries there um, and I got a sponsor from there, and I'm internally grateful for um, the the person in my home group who who talked to his sponsor and said, like, what do we do? And he he also had some of his sponsees sponsor women, um, and that was really important to me because I know that without working the twelve steps uh, as they're laid out in the big book, I wouldn't have stayed in SA because I wouldn't have had the SA solution. Without the SA solution, there's no way I can stay sober because my mind constantly tells me that there's a much better thing, but I found that the essay solution is better than my acting out. Um, and I know that in the I've been in program in essay for a year and change, and I've seen over ten women come in and out who who haven't gotten a sponsor who who just came in and out. Um, and now I'm happy to say that, that there's, um, five women in Israel who sponsor, um, and that when a woman comes into program, we, we inform her of the whole importance of sponsorship and the women who can sponsor. And I think that, um, it was important for me to, to realize that, uh, the 12 steps are a spiritual principles and, um, a man can give me spiritual principles. Um, obviously, there needs to be boundaries, but I can receive spiritual principles from them, and I can give them um, back. Um, and it was also important for my recovery because um, when I was six months sober and I was on step four, um, 
uh, somebody asked me if I could sponsor them, and I didn't know. And I asked my sponsor, and he said he told me that I should sponsor. Um, and that's when I started sponsoring, and and it's been such a wonderful experience for me um, that a giving and receiving relationship. Um, and I just want to also talk a little bit about my home group. Um, so my home group, I came to it, and there was around 10, 15 people there. It was an average-sized group for um, Jerusalem. And in the last year, it's grown to have approximately 60 people every meeting, and we opened another day um, of the week. Um, and there's, when I came um, and started going to mixed meetings, I would be, I could be in a room, the only woman. Um, and in my home meetings, so there's between five to seven women in every meeting, uh, three of which um, it's their home group and they have service and they come to every single meeting. Um, and I think that one thing that makes it so successful and so accessible for different people in different walks of life is uh, the emphasis on traditions. Um, it's something that's talked about um, in the, the conversations before, after um, in uh, business meetings and um, I think that that's one thing that can make uh, it possible to have such a to healthy and uh, fun um, and joyful experience in a home group is the emphasis on traditions. Um, I don't have that much history because I've only been in a short time but uh, thank you for letting me share. That's uh, that's really all the time we have. Um, after we, uh, yeah, after we close, everybody that's got one of these, uh, you know, take it home or fill it out, or if you, not, you don't think you're going to use it, hand it to somebody else. Everybody in everybody in here. This is a copy of the archives and history questions and uh, and and kind of not rules but suggestions on how to do it and. And then a group group inventory and a personal inventory. So, and then and then the addresses and phone numbers and fax and emails and everything to get it back to Seiko, so we can have a copy of your your history. Yes. Is there a committee? Is there a trustee committee called archives? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. My suggestion would be to take a poll of the people in this room who might be willing to serve on that committee. All right, that's a great idea. All right, Kate, Kate's going to take over from there, Lawrence. We do, we do have the advantage of having the services of a genuine archivist, by which I mean his lifetime career is 40 years in uh, preserving um, and archiving the records of a state here in the United States. And he has agreed to help us get our start and um, so he's asked for help. He'd like the help of at least one or two people. Those one or two people do need to be from the Nashville area or willing to travel at least one or two nights, say, um, monthly to help do the actual preservation work. He's going to instruct us, and um, he's 
smart enough to uh, not say that a monkey could do it. But he is smart enough to say that anyone who has an interest in being careful can learn how to use the materials, do the work slowly and carefully, and treat each item the same way. And he's going to teach us how to do that. So if there's anyone in the room that either is local and has that kind of interest or um, willing to go to any length for the history, and we're talking about physical documents here, we've made our main... Um, presentation to you today as being not from here to please send us more material that we need to actually work with, which is fine. But if there's anyone, if, um, I'll be out at the Seiko table in the concourse in front of the ballroom. Some will be there, and we'd be happy to talk to you more about it, take your information, and sign you up. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Let's close with a third step prayer. We want to circle up. No can touch me. Huh? We've we got too many germs going. Oh, trusting people. to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for sa members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes please show your support by donating to the daily reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking donate now Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.